Well, you know what I think. I'm a Christian. I'm not going to deny that. I do want everyone to feel comfortable. That's why I'd like to talk to you about Jesus. Please do not go religious. Somebody's going to hell over there. He better not. Even the devil will speak the truth for, for his own purposes. This is war. Accept it. Back to Jerusalem podcast. Yeah, I'm back and I'm armed with righteousness. With your host, Eugene Bach. He just seems like he's got it all figured out. He's a righteous dude. Yep. Hello and welcome to another Back to Jerusalem podcast. I'm Eugene Bach, your host for this time, and I'm coming to you live. And for some of you, live on delay from here in northern Sweden. Now, I'm super excited about today's podcast. Now, for those of you that are downloading this uh, on backtojerusalem.com forward slash podcast, you can catch us live every Saturday. For those of you that are with us live right now on Saturday morning, this is a great time for you to join us and share about your feelings, your thoughts, your concerns, uh, gripe, complaints (laughs) uh, by calling us on our phone number. You can call us on our phone number. We usually have it posted. Uh, You can find that on our website or you can find that on our broadcast that we do. But our live broadcasts are a time that you can call in and just say, hey, hello, whatever. The number is 1-703-348-7756. Again, that is 1-703-348-7756. Today's message, I want to talk about embracing persecution. Embracing persecution because what we are seeing right now around the world is something that I believe we can learn from China. Now, there has been a video that has gone up. It's from America's front, uh, the American Frontline Doctors. It's a video that maybe not all of you have seen, but I shared it on dingdash.com. Dingdash.com is our own Back to Jerusalem social media platform. Uh, you can, if you're not a part of that, you, you go on and sign on now. Become a part of that. Here's the thing. You don't have to stop using Facebook. You don't have to stop using Instagram. You don't have to stop using YouTube. I'm still using Facebook. I'm still using Instagram. I'm still using YouTube. We're doing this live broadcast right now on YouTube. I don't know for how long because the photo that I'm actually using right now for this podcast uh, is one that might draw undue attention to us. But I wanted to kind of let you guys know what we are focused on right now for this podcast. So I'm using this photo. I, I know that it could be a challenge. We'll see if we can eat through this one hour because, uh, and what I mean by eking through, uh, eke through this one hour without being shut down because the powers that be want this video scrubbed. Uh, this video, when it was launched by America's frontline doctors went immediately viral. It scared the bejesus out of so many media, uh, types because this was information that they couldn't control. And it, it, they found it dangerous. They found it dangerous, which I find a little, I, I, I'm going to tell you, I find it humorous. And people are like, well, you can't listen to that video. You can't listen to people in that video because this stuff's not true. I don't care about that. 
I am not here to argue that the material that is shared by American frontline doctors is true. I'm not here to argue whether it's false. I'm here saying that as Christians, we need to be hyper alert about what people are allowed to say and not allowed to say. This is a big deal because their freedom of speech was shut down so quickly. And here's the thing. It wasn't shut down by the government. We didn't see the government of, we didn't see what, I mean, China's not going to allow it anyway, right? I mean, they don't allow Facebook. They don't allow YouTube. They don't allow Instagram. And for a reason, this video highlights the reason why China doesn't allow those platforms in their country. Because those platforms share viewpoints that the Chinese government does not agree with. So they're blocked. But these big corporations that are now getting in bed with China are blocking a lot of the same material that China would approve of. Now, here's the thing. During this podcast, what I want to do is I want to unpack what we are seeing in the West with this shutting down of freedom of speech, the blocking of accounts, the shadow banning, and show how we have been dealing with that in China for several decades and what you as a Christian can do in response. And I'm telling you, you as a believer might feel like you're alone. Let me tell you, that's exactly how you're supposed to feel. And I'm going to tell you why in a little bit. I'm, I'll, I'll unpack it even more. But basically, the enemy wants you to feel alone. The enemy wants you to feel isolated. The enemy wants you to lose your morale. The enemy wants you to feel down. Why? Because we are social beings. We were created to have fellowship with one another. And when we are outside of fellowship with others, we do what we can to get back into that fellowship. It's one of the things that we learn from Christ when we see that he travels with his disciples. He had daily fellowship with his disciples. In fact, when you look at John chapter 17, it's probably one of the most moving chapters in the Bible, in my opinion, because here is the Messiah, God in the flesh, the word that has become man, that has come to earth to pay for our sins with his life. Here we are about to see the greatest payment for the sin of man that's ever been paid so that we, you, me, and everyone that we know can forever be released from the chains of sin to live with Christ forever. And before he is marched to the slaughter, before he is marched to be hung crucified and offered as a sacrifice for my sins and your sins. What does he do? He prays for his friends. 
John chapter 17 is one of the most moving chapters for me in the Bible because here is a Messiah that is about ready to change the history of the universe forever. And he takes time to pray for these 12 men that he has grown to love on earth. He knows the persecution that they are about to face. He knows the suffering that they're about to endure. He knows that the pain that they will experience in the very near future is a direct result of them following him. And it pains him. That's why he prays for the Father to protect them. We have that same DNA in each of us. We have a desire, whether you know it or not, whether you acknowledge it or not, even if you're the most recluse person, even if you are a person that really loves your, your solitary time, I promise you, you were made for fellowship with God and each other. One of the things that I find very interesting about Adam is that Adam himself that had fellowship directly with God in ways that you and I have never experienced. Yes, we have experienced fellowship with Christ. Christ now lives in us. This is true. But can you imagine being the very first person created in the image of God, walking in the paradise that God has created and you have him as someone that you can dialogue with, fellowship with, be with. I mean, there must have never been another time like it. Because after Adam, we begin to divorce ourselves from that regular fellowship with God. We have to. Because we are sinful and he is not. He is righteous and we are not. Righteousness cannot properly fellowship with unrighteousness. So as time goes on, that gap between God and man grows bigger and bigger. Christ bridges that gap, but not until the other side of eternity will we experience that same fellowship that Adam had. My point is, even with that fellowship, God looked at man and said, it's not good for him to be alone. The animals were not made to his equal. Not even the dog. Sorry for those of you that love dogs. But the, the truth is there was no animal that could properly maintain a proper fellowship with Adam. And Adam didn't experience that amazing fellowship with someone of his equal until Eve was made. We all have that, even within the Godhead. You notice how the Godhead, we have the Trinity, God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the royal we that God speaks of when he speaks of himself and says, you know, we do not see it, at, let, that it's good for man to be alone. This royal we is, we see fellowship within the head of God himself in the Trinity. So 
When you feel isolated for your viewpoints, when you feel that you cannot adequately connect with others because your views are different than theirs, guess what happens? Two things. Either one, you begin to feel like you are alone, or two, you begin to feel that you need to connect. When you feel that you need to connect, you begin to compromise. And you might compromise thinking that, well, if the group think is this way, I need to adapt or I will feel isolated. That's what the enemy wants you to feel. Right now, the message of this podcast is this. Embrace persecution because it's only going to get worse. Embrace persecution because it's only going to get worse. But that's not bad news. I know it sounds like bad news. Trust me. I've been working together with the Chinese for more than two decades. The last thing that I want is to suffer persecution. The last thing that I want is to see hardship. When I see my brothers and sisters going through persecution in China, Pakistan, Iran, North Korea, I don't want that for them. I don't want it for me. But it's been promised. When it has been promised, you can, be rest, you can rest assured that it is coming. But here's the good news. <laughs> here's the good news. Persecution makes us closer to Christ, brings us closer to Christ. Persecution sets us on fire. Persecution gives us a boldness that we would not otherwise have without it. I don't like persecution, but I like the product of persecution. I don't like diets either. I, I hate dieting. I want to eat what I want, when I want. You can ask my wife. We love food. We love food. And the kind of food that I like is the bad kind of food, right? The, the food that is bad for my health, but I love it. I, I, when I get bored, what I like to do is walk to the refrigerator, open it up and see what's inside. Even if I know I'm not going to eat anything, it's just a, a mental state where I just kind of find myself walking to the refrigerator for no reason at all, opening it up and just staring inside. It makes me happy. I know I have a problem. You don't have to tell me that I have a problem. I know that I have a problem, but I love food. I don't like, however, what comes as a result of having too much bad food in my diet. I would rather have a very healthy physique. I'd rather be cut, trim. I, I would like to be hard as a rock everywhere with muscles flexing, definition, all of that. And I, I, I would like it. I, I would like it a lot, <laughs> but I like tacos more. I like tacos more than I want that. But when I go out and I exercise, 
when I go for a run, I'm out every single day, either biking, skiing, running, hiking, something. I'm usually out every single day because I know what the results are. I know that if I push through that pain, and I'm usually, I'm like talking to myself, right? I'm like, get up this freaking hill, you moron, you weak body, suck it up, dig in, get up this hill. I talk to myself like that all the time because there are times where like, you know what? I just want to turn around and go, I'm, I'm being completely honest with you. There are times where I get my butt kicked and I'm just done. I'm like, why, why am I doing this today? I have no reason to do this today. I would much rather be sleeping. I'd ra- much rather be napping. I'd much rather be doing anything, including eating tacos, than up here on this mountain, working out, running, biking, pushing, sweating, suffering. Oh, but I love that feeling when I get back. It's the same way. I've sat down with so many pastors. I've written several books and biographies uh, together with these pastors. Pastor Zhang Rong Liang, probably the most well-known pastor in all of China, who shared with me the years of persecution that he went through. And he told me, I wouldn't trade it for the world. I admire the influence. I admire the, the, the person, the man that Pastor Zhang Rong Liang has become. But I wouldn't have wanted to step in his shoes during those years of persecution. Not on your life. But what it did is it completely transformed him into the leader that he is today. Persecution is coming. Embrace it. I'm not, I'm not asking you to search for it. I'm, I'm telling you to avoid it if you can. I take every precaution I can to keep from being persecuted because I like comfort. But comfort is the daily diet of apathetic Christianity. I'm going to say that again for those of you that didn't catch that. Comfort is the daily diet of apathetic Christianity. We become apathetic, pathetic Christians. When we are too comfortable for too long. Do you want to know why we're seeing riots in the cities in America? I believe it's because a very comfortable church has gotten too cozy with the world that rejects the views of our sacred text. I believe we as the church have found ways to become too comfortable for too long. Comfort was never a prescription given to us by Christ. When I saw the Chinese being persecuted and I arrived there for the very first time, one of the things that I wanted to do was release them from their persecution by finding ways that they could topple their government, by finding ways that they could find independence, by finding ways that maybe even they could leave China and go to another country that is much, much better than China. And I was going to teach them. I was going to lead them. I was going to guide them. But instead, what I found was a church that began to teach me that this is what we are supposed to go through. The church in China began to enlighten me of the real teachings of Christ's words. You see, I have been reading it for so many years through the cultural lens of American Christianity. But when I started to see it, Through their eyes, I realized 
there's so much here that God, Jesus himself, spoke of, warned us of this time. And so when I'm seeing the American frontline doctors that are on the steps of Washington, outside in their white lab coats, and they are discussing a pill, a medication that has been on the market for like 70 years. They're discussing a medication that I have taken. You know, when whenever I do certain trips to Africa, I'm required to have certain vaccinations. I'm, I have to get my yellow fever shot. I have to have, you know, this uh, card, this medical vaccination card. I don't know how many of you have ever been to different parts of Africa, but, you know, when I travel to Sudan, when I travel to Somalia, when I travel to Uganda, I have to have this medical card with me. If I don't have that medical card, I can't even put my butt on the plane. On that card, it shows the dates and the vaccination or the medication that I was given in order to prepare my body to go into the areas that where I might be exposed to diseases that I wouldn't otherwise be exposed to, one of those being malaria. And because of the chance of me possibly catching malaria, I was given pills to start taking before I arrive in Africa. Two days. I was told to start taking these pills two days before you arrive in Africa. What I didn't know is that that simple pill, which nobody really had any problems with before the last six months. Now, that is the most controversial drug on the market. And of course, I'm talking about hydro, hydroxychloroquine. Now, this hydroxychloroquine is something that we are seeing these doctors come out and say they have been giving it to their patients as a preventative measure and a treatment for mild symptoms. These are doctors on the front lines that are using it. Now, I know that I have listeners that are listening to this podcast that are like, oh, but you don't know the studies have been done to tell you how dangerous this drug is. There have been studies that have been done. It says it does absolutely nothing for the coronavirus. There have been studies that have been done to show that what these doctors are sharing is dangerous to public health. I do know. I've been reading this. To be honest, I'm, I'm, let me just lay the cards out on the table, okay? I don't really care. As it pertains to my health, I don't really care. I, if I get sick, I might care. But guys, I haven't been sick in like two or three years. I can't even remember the last time I had the sniffles. I don't, I don't know why I haven't been sick. My wife and I, we, we just, it just, sickness is just not a thing in our family. So, I mean, it, it, I remember, I think it was like 20 years ago or, or 15 years ago, uh, my wife finally, at one time, wanted to take an aspirin. And we hadn't had aspirin in our home forever. We pulled out the aspirin. I didn't know this, but aspirin can become moldy. Our aspirin had been unused for so long. I don't even know where it came from, but it was moldy. My point is, is that we're not big on medication anyway. I mean, if I'm told to take a vaccine, I, you know, I take the vaccine. 
If I'm told to take these pills before I arrive in uh, Africa in order to keep me safe so I don't get malaria, well, you know what? Malaria can be a real downer when you're on a mission trip. So I don't want it. So I took, I, I, I followed my doctor's advice. I took the pills. And I don't know if they worked or not. I don't know if I was exposed to malaria or not, but I can tell you this, I didn't get malaria. So I, I don't, I'm not really invested in this emotionally. Whether what these doctors for American frontline doctors are saying is true or not true. And I tell you, I shared this with that kind of attitude that I, I don't really necessarily say that I agree with them or not agree with them, but I definitely believe that they should be heard. I definitely believe that their voices add to our level of understanding of the disease and the treatment. Even if what they say is wrong, by investigating what they are saying is wrong, we can find out more about what is right. But so many people jump to conclusions and embrace sides and have actually somehow attach their identity with this cause. Why? Because we don't want to be isolated. We were made for fellowship. And there are so many people that violently, aggressively take up this cause to fight for or against whether you can use this pill that has been in the market for a very long time. People are talking about the dangerous side effects. Do you think a vaccine that's about ready to come out will not have dangerous side effects? This is hydroxychloroquine side effects are pretty mild when compared to vaccines. But again, I'm not really emotionally invested. What I am invested in is whether they can say what they're saying freely or not. You see, this is one of the biggest challenges that I think we are seeing in July of 2020. Sorry, today's August 1st. So for the 1st of August, this is the biggest challenge that we are seeing against Christianity today. If you go back to January 1st, 2020, we put out a report, back to Jerusalem put out a report, the top 10 nations with the greatest persecution against Christians. I took a lot of heat for that. The reason I put that out is to show Christians around the world which nations are persecuting Christians the most. And do you know what I put as number one? I was laughed at. I was attacked. I was, I, I was, people called me, uh, being, people said that I was being, um, dangerous by taking the focus off of nations like North Korea and Somalia. People said that I was being irresponsible by putting the nation with the greatest persecution against Christians as social media. The reason I said that social media back in January of 2020 was the country that has the that that is the most dangerous for Christians. The reason I said that is because People argued, and they were right in their arguments. They were arguing, saying that, well, social media is not killing Christians in prison camps like in North Korea. You're right. 
social media is not chaining Christians to basements in Somalia and starving them to death and making them, by the, the fear of death, convert to Islam. You're right. Social media is not taking female Christians, chaining them to their two-year-old in their prison cells, making them give birth in prison because they're a Christian, and then sentencing them to death by lashes. You're ridiculous by comparing what's happening in Sudan, Somalia, North Korea, to social media. Have you lost your mind? But here's my argument. North Korea, Sudan, Somalia can persecute Christians within their influence that they have power over, which is very limited. Social media has been able to garner a population that is the much larger than China. They have a population within their sphere of influence that is bigger than any nation on earth. Those that run social media have not been elected to power by anybody. Nobody can say who's in charge and who's not in charge. Social media can make decisions completely independent of their citizens, you and me. Social media has the power to influence American and European elections. Sudan, Somalia, they don't have that. Some might argue that North Korea and China do, but they're even if you can make the argument that they do have influence, their influence is limited to a much smaller power than social media. When we look at Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Google, these guys wield a power over us that we are not yet aware of. And the reason we're not aware of it is because we enjoy their services and we agree to the trade-off. At the moment, we're able to engage at our liberty, just as they did in China with WeChat. If you're not familiar with WeChat, let me share a little bit about WeChat just for a second. I know some of you that are old-time listeners, long-time listeners, you are uh, sick of hearing about WeChat. But I know that there are some listeners who are brand new who just started to download our podcast. We just became number one for this week, by the way, in Israel. So woo, super happy about that. So thank you guys in Israel that are listening to us. I want to thank you that uh, you have downloaded this podcast or maybe you're listening to us live. Um, by the way, Jonathan just wrote something that I thought was really powerful. Never thought of that before, Jonathan. Jonathan just said, social media is the throne room for the prince of the air. Wow, dude, that's, I, I think that that is spot on. I really do. When we look at social media and the power that they have today, I compare it to WeChat for this simple reason. WeChat was brought in when Facebook and Google were kicked out of China. Uh, they, were, they were kicked out of China in early 2000s uh, because they would not play along with the game that the Chinese wanted them to play along with, which I applaud. 
And so WeChat stepped in and they began to fill that gap and they began to provide a service for people that people very much enjoy, just like we, uh, just like uh, Facebook and many of social media, just like Google does for us today. I mean, how many people have a, a Gmail account? I know I do. How many people use Google as their search engine? I know that I did. How many people use the services that are available on a daily basis from Facebook, from Instagram, from YouTube? I know that I do. I just watched a couple video clips that are political that I wanted to see today, as well as uh, a minister preaching using YouTube. So I, I like that service. And for that service that they were receiving inside of China, China began to collect information on them. And the information was used for marketing. And most of the users that used WeChat were okay with that. Just like today, many of these big social media groups are using our information to market us. Many of us know that we're aware of it. We might not like it, but we don't not like it enough to abandon their services. So what happened in China is that China quickly moved people into a situation where they could no longer survive in society without WeChat. WeChat did everything. It was banking. It was transportation. It was social. Everything that you wanted to do in life in China became dependent on this app. Anybody here that's listening to this podcast, if you have any friends living in China, they all have WeChat, all of them. And WeChat then began to create a, an environment where people were trapped. They could no longer survive in society without it. They had made so many trade-offs. By the time they stopped and looked around, they were in the prison of WeChat. They could no longer do uh, commerce. They could no longer deal with their bank account. They could no longer talk to their friends, send messages, book train tickets, plane tickets, bus tickets. They could no longer pay for rent or utilities without WeChat. So now China has created this social media rating system where people are rated. They have a score that is based on whether the government trusts them or not. We're seeing the same thing right now with Facebook, YouTube. What they have done is they've created a trustworthy score as well. You're just not aware of it. They've been doing things that we don't like for a while, but we've been okay with the trade-off. The reason why is because we really like the services that they provide. So we're, allow, we're allowing them to monitor our purchases, monitor our shopping habits, monitor our friendships, monitor our political views, monitor our family photos, monitor our most intimate moments with our family and friends because they provide a very easy to use service and we've been willing to make that trade-off. But there will be a time, I believe that's quickly coming, when we will make a decision, and that decision is different for everybody, that uh, time where we will decide we've had enough is different for everybody. Our tolerance level is different for everybody. But there will be a time for each of us when we decide that we will no longer want to submit ourselves to the rules that social media has put in place. Some people that I know have already come to their limit. I haven't. I still play by the rules of social media. But what we have done is we've created an alternative. It's called Ding Dash. It, it's, it's kind of like weaning yourself off of one service while using another. Is Ding Dash as good as Facebook? No. We created it. I'll tell you straight up. It's not as good. Yet, 
we're getting better. Facebook also has 48,000 full-time employees. We have like two volunteers. So yeah, we have not reached the level of Facebook yet. But I believe we are providing a service for Christians in closed countries as well as future Christians in Western countries that no longer want to submit to the social media throne room for the prince of the air, as Jonathan Newman just put it. Here's the thing. When I look at the American frontline doctors standing in front of the Capitol, talking about a pill that is taken every day by the president of the United States himself, and they are censored, I have to ask why. Now you've got me curious. Just by putting up that video, by the way, I had Christian supporters of Back to Jerusalem that said, we no longer want to stand with you. Let me read you one letter of somebody who wrote in. Uh, They said, Dear Back to Jerusalem, this is after we shared the American Frontline Doctors video and gave commentary on it. By the way, we didn't defend the video. We only said that these are medical professionals. They are. Qualified, certified doctors, which they are, who are on the front lines treating people with COVID-19 every day, which they are, and they're telling us what they are seeing, which they did. What... What harm is that? And why should somebody in a cubicle that does not have a medical degree tell me what I'm allowed to see, what I'm not allowed to see? What these doctors are allowed to say and what they're not allowed to say. So we had a believer um, who's been a partner with Back to Jerusalem, I don't know how long, but they wrote and they said, we have unsubscribed to your message and wanted to tell you why. We are deeply troubled by your promotion of the video of America's frontline doctors, which was censored by social media outlets because it told people to not wear masks and that the hydroxychloroquine cures COVID-19. This message from the white-coated physicians in the video gives people false hope and may cause them to practice risky behaviors. The CDC is very clear about the importance of wearing face masks to reduce the spread of COVID-19. Please instead listen to and promote reputable sources. Dr. Anthony Fauci said that hydroxychloroquine is not effective in treating COVID-19. And then they gave me the link. The FDA cautions against the use of hydroxychloroquine or chloroquine for COVID-19 outside of the hospital setting or clinical trial due to the risk of heart rhythm problems. Because of the above, we are deeply concerned about your credibility. Since you promote conspiracy theories like this, we can no longer trust anything else you tell us. Sadly, we must end our association with back to Jerusalem. And then they signed off with their names. (laughs) Another person wrote to me and said, I remember when back to Jerusalem was about spreading the gospel and not about propaganda. That was a pastor from Germany. There have been several people that have been writing to me during this time. Dude, I'm not going to defend these doctors. (laughs) I am going to tell you that There are different views on things that are not salvation essential. 
And I want you to listen to me very, very clear because what has happened here is something that Christians need to be aware of, whether you are against American frontline doctors or for American frontline doctors. I'm doing this podcast, ladies and gentlemen, from Sweden. I'm doing this podcast from the land of the Karolinska Institute, which has had more medical breakthroughs per capita than almost any other country in the world outside of Israel. I am doing this podcast from the the land of the Nobel Peace Prize, where people that save lives through medicine and uh, other forms of mathematics, science, academics are awarded every year. Where some of the brightest minds and medical professionals come together and congratulate one another for medical breakthroughs. And in this country, we don't recommend masks. I was in Stockholm last week. People were shoulder to shoulder in every shop, restaurant, store that I went into. Then I drove over to the West Coast. Stockholm's on the East Coast, for those of you that are not familiar. Then I drove over to the West Coast to a place called Smögen, just not too far from, a, from the city of uh, Gothenburg or Göteborg. When I get up to Smögen, it's even more so. This is Smögen is a little small uh, tourist fishing village that is as cute as a button, and people love it. I love it. Best seafood in the world. Oh my gosh. You want to talk about somebody that broke their diet? I went into the sin of gluttony like you would not believe, eating everything and anything that was in sight because it's like mouth porn in Smogan. The best seafood you've ever had in your life. They smoke the salmon in a way where the smoky flavors are inside of the meat, like these crystals of perfectly packaged flavor that just come busting out as soon as you bite into them. And it puts goosebumps on my skin and makes me, it puts my mind in this euphoric heaven space. I absolutely love it. People were, people also agree with me. They absolutely love it. They are shoulder to shoulder, back to front. No, not one single person wearing a mask. Because that's what Sweden decided to do with medical professionals that that was their medical advice. Anders Tegnell, who is the person leading the charge for the rules that have been set in place in uh, America, has been giving his entire life to virology. He's been studying pandemics before it was cool. And he's been the one driving the truck inside of Sweden. Most of the politicians here have taken their hands off and given the power to him. To the point where he even came out and said, guys, listen, I think I have too much power. I don't want this. But we've been following his advice. And one of the things that he advised was don't wear face masks. Or he didn't say don't wear face masks. He just said that they don't help. You might not agree with that, but he is setting the policy for Sweden. My point is, you as a Christian are okay with shutting down the voices of doctors that are sharing frontline experiences that line up with other medical professionals from around the world. You're okay with that? I wrote back to one of the supporters and said, your email saddens me. I was hoping that 
we could stay together. You could continue supporting back to Jerusalem with the vision of completing the Great Commission. But I understand. I pray that you find another organization you can partner together with or maybe even move to the 1040 window yourself and serve the Great Commission. But if you agree with shutting down people that do not agree with you, if you agree on stopping the freedom of speech of doctors on the front lines, sharing their experience collectively, if you want to see them shut down just because they don't agree with your political view, just because they don't agree with your understanding of what is credible and what is not credible, then my friend, you and the Chinese government agree on this. You see, in China, we have a government that selects what is a credible source and what is not a credible source. This is one of the reasons why the Chinese government is directly involved in running the training for pastors that go out into the official churches. Their teachers inside of the theological seminaries inside of China are hand-selected by the Communist Party. The reason why that is concerning is because the Communist Party does not believe that there's a God. The Communist Party of China does not believe that there's a God, and they believe that is a credible stance. Those that do not have a, a the, the, those that believe that there is not a God that are part of the Communist Party, they then handpick those that will be the teachers in seminary for future pastors and evangelists in China for those that go through the official seminary and will soon become the pastors of official churches. They can only preach and teach what is official, what is credible. And anything else that is not credible is like the person that wrote us this letter, conspiracy theories. They said, in that letter, I just want to say it again, they say, please instead listen to and promote reputable sources. Dr. Anthony Fauci said that hydroxychloroquine is not effective in treating COVID-19. Well, guess what? The great thing about science is that it's always in search of the truth. Anybody that tells you that the science is settled is a freaking moron. Because science is never settled. We are always learning more about this wonderful world that God has created. If there's anything that we learn in science that contradicts God's word, don't deny that science. Embrace it and keep following it. Because what it will eventually do, given enough time, is lead you to God if the science is honest. All, all science is, is it's, it's, it's not a religion as it's being promoted. It's supposed to be an honest search for truth to find out how the world around us works. Who created the world? If we can learn more about how the world around us works, we learn more about our creator, the one that created the world around us. Many of us very, live very short lives, so we don't have the chance to look back on history to see all the ignorant stuff that morons in history have said that this is settled science when it turns out 
that all they had to do was wait for the next generation to build on what they found to find more truth. Keep digging. Keep digging in science. The more I learn about God, the more I learn that I don't have a clue who he is, how big he is. I don't have a clue of his depths. I don't have a clue of, of his, the, the breadth of his, of his grandness. But I love the journey of discovery. We all need to take on that desire to discover more. So when I see this Christian write to me and say, please listen to and promote reputable sources like Dr. Anthony Fauci. Well, let me ask you this. What about reputable sources in India? Are Indian doctors less credible because they're Indian? Because in India, and I just put this up on our website, one of the biggest slums in the world can be found in Mumbai. And ladies and gentlemen, let me tell you, that is an absolute Petri dish waiting for a disease to explode. They can't social distance there. They have over a million people in an area that is less than one square mile, less than three quarters of a square mile. They have over 1 million people living in an area half the size of Central Park in New York City. People are living on top of each other. You're not social distancing. You're certainly not isolating yourself. Forget about that. Sanitation? Throw that out the window. You're not finding sanitation in the slums of Mumbai. The water's dirty. The ground is dirty. Everybody's hands are dirty. The food that you're getting when you eat was was made by somebody that probably didn't wash their hands. And it's served together with, with water that has bacteria in it. The food has bacteria in it, bad bacteria. That if you and I ate it raw without being exposed to that bacteria beforehand, it would tear up our stomach. It's one of the reasons why you hear uh, deli belly. I have a good friend, uh, Ivan Froen. He's the, he's the founder of of uh, Youth with a Mission in Norway. And he was our chairman for many years for Back to Jerusalem. We called him our Viking. And just an amazing brother. And he gave a message that I'll never forget called Living Water, where he discusses going to India. And he had living water that was alive coming out of him from all orifices. It, it, was, a, it was a hilarious message. But the slums of Mumbai, forget about it. If you got a disease like coronavirus spreading around to people that do not isolate themselves, Mumbai's, I mean, the slums are gone, dead, pile up the bodies today. But in April of 2020, the government together with the Doctors Association of India decided to hand out hydroxychloroquine to everybody as a preventative measure for them to stay well. They gave him a pill to people that were not sick so that they wouldn't get sick. And guess what? They basically, in July, from what I understand right now, they've had like one new case and no deaths since they released the drug. 
Is that the answer for everybody? That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that Dr. Anthony Fauci is not the final word, nor is he the only credible source out there. You know who else is a credible source? Those that are actually on the front lines. You know who's not on the front lines? Dr. Anthony Fauci. He hasn't probably put a stethoscope to a patient's chest in months, if not years. And I'm not saying that he doesn't know what he's talking about. The man knows much more than I do. Trust him before you trust me. But... Wouldn't it be worth our while to listen to doctors who are on the front lines treating these cases every day and have been using hydroxychloroquine as their medication to treat their patients? There's one lady, her name is Dr. Stella Emanuel. She said she's treated over 400 patients and not lost a single one. Not one in 400. And she's got people coming to her scared out of their mind. And she's been giving them hydroxychloroquine to, in order to treat their symptoms. And she said she's been treating people with heart disease, people with hypertension, people with diabetes, people with other underlying conditions that would make them more likely to die of COVID-19. But it's not happening. I kind of want to hear from her. Whether you agree with her or not doesn't bother me a bit then don't turn her off. You don't agree. If, if you are all, if it's already settled in your mind, then turn her off. But to shut her up is a problem. Now, here are the things that the world is using to shut down the uh, American frontline doctors. They are going to battle and they're going to battle in four different ways. Media, education, legislation, and social isolation. Now, I've already talked a little bit about social isolation. It, by socially isolating you, if you do not apply, if you do not agree with groupthink, is one of the power uh, mechanisms that the, that the world uses in order to get you to release, to relinquish your good judgment, so that you can buy into mass hysteria and be led by fear instead of hope. To be led by fear instead of hope. Fear of losing your contacts, fear of losing your friends, fear of being outside, fear of being looked at as being stupid, fear of being looked at as a racist, fear is being looked at as a sexist, fear as being looked at as someone who buys into conspiracy theories. Nobody wants that. So you give up your ethics. You give up your own judgment. You abandon all reason so that you can be a part of that fellowship because it's so necessary for who we are. I mean, that's one side of it, right? I know that there's a lot of people that are honestly scared. I know that there's a lot of mothers out there that are Christians supporting Back to Jerusalem, believe in what Back to Jerusalem is doing to complete the Great Commission, but they're willing to submit to these government shutdowns because they believe that it's saving lives. They believe with every fiber of their being that wearing a mask and isolating yourself and going into lockdown and not going to church is good for helping people survive. And that's okay. If that's what I'm this week. So to, uh, on Monday, I'm going to be bringing on a good friend of ours. She's a believer. She's from Southern California. She's a conservative, uh, conservative Christian, and she's a mother, a mother of three. And she's concerned about the COVID virus. She's in California, and she believes that you should wear a mask. She believes that everybody should isolate themselves and lock, go on lockdown so that this disease will die out. 
and she's able to speak in a rational way. But I get where she's coming from. She's a mother and she doesn't just care about her children. She cares about children all around the world. She wants to see lives saved, not lost from this disease. I get it. But I come from a different perspective. I come from a perspective that believes that this is this whole deal with COVID-19 is a marathon, not a sprint. I believe that um, what I've been seeing here in Sweden, of course, I'm in Sweden, so I'm biased on this, but I don't believe that lockdowns work in this situation. Or at least that's, the, that's what we've been seeing from the data for the last six months. That places that have done the most stringent lockdowns, those that have done the most absolute lockdowns, the most painful lockdowns, as soon as they come out of lockdown, they start to see the numbers go up again. So it didn't kill out the virus. So it might be that this virus is something that we have to live with for the rest of our lives. Going into lockdown, is that going to end the virus? If not, then we must ask ourselves, are we willing to live in lockdown forever? Are we willing to not go to church forever? Are we willing to wear a mask forever? I know I'm not. <laughs> and if you are, that's okay. But I'm telling you, I'm not. And that might make us enemies in that way. I'm totally fine with you being on lockdown. But I know that so many people are not okay with me not being on lockdown. And that is the problem. We have seen here in Sweden, the numbers come down dramatically. People are like, well, yeah, but Sweden has so many deaths. They have so many more deaths than the, their neighbors in Finland and Norway and Denmark. Yeah, that's true. But we're talking about two completely different nations. If you want to make an adequate comparison, it would probably be better to compare Sweden to a place like Holland. But Sweden's actually doing better than that. Sweden had a big problem in the early stages of COVID-19. It was a mistake to allow the virus to be spread into the retirement homes. That was horrible. And the majority of the deaths that you've seen in Sweden have come from the retirement homes. But locking down healthy people would have done nothing after the retirement homes were already exposed to the virus to keep the virus from spreading in the retirement homes. The majority of the deaths, the overwhelming majority of the deaths were 70, 80, 90-year-olds. 65 and below, you had a 99.96% chance of surviving if you got the virus. My brother-in-law got the virus. He works at a hospital in Stockholm. I've got another brother-in-law that works at a hospital in Stockholm, and I don't, I don't know if he got it or not. He never got tested. The only reason we know that one of my brother-in-law uh, got the virus is because he got tested. He never got really sick. He did get sick, but not really sick. It's like seasonal flu. My sister-in-law, also working uh, in, in a hospital in Stockholm as an EMT. She says she hasn't seen a COVID patient for the last two weeks. Sweden never went into lockdown. They never shut down the churches, at least in the area where I'm at. Many churches uh, that are 50 or more voluntarily shut down, but the ones, that, the ones that are in the area where I'm at, I'm still attending. Restaurants weren't closed down in my area. Shops weren't closed down in my area. Nobody wears a mask ever in my area. People do social distancing, but that's kind of natural anyway. And what we have seen is that the numbers came down. Yesterday, July 31st, zero deaths from COVID. So the numbers came down without doing a lockdown, without wearing masks. So there are other ways. But 
that is a part of the social isolation. The only reason I mentioned Sweden is just to let you know that there are other ways. There are other ways that other countries are handling it. And even though you might not agree, that is that doesn't make what Sweden is doing to be conspiracy theory. That does not make what Sweden is doing to be uh, bad medical advice that needs to be blocked from the conversation. So, so social isolation is one of the big ways that the world is doing battle with against the church. And when we look at this situation with the America's frontline doctors, one of the things that we see, because I said media, education, legislation, social media, right? Those four things are the big ways that uh, the, the world is coming out, not just against American uh, frontline doctors, but also against Christians. I'm using them as an example, even though their message is not a Christian one, because I believe it makes a point. It's kind of frontline headline news right now. Their video came out and went autumn right away. It went to the the stratosphere when it, with the virility. I mean, it was so viral that they had to shut it down in the middle of its broadcast with over 80, I think it was like 850,000 viewers or something like that. And had millions of views before they actually took it down from the platforms, but they haven't gotten rid of it. They've only made it more. I can't tell you how many people have private messaged me on Facebook sharing the video. I also saved it and saved it to our hard drive for dingdash.com just to make sure that people have access to it if they want it. Whether you agree with it or not, I wanted you to have access to that information. Because the other way that people are uh, fighting against this group as well as Christians is through legislation. This is very similar to what we saw in China. That if you share things that are, that are not approved by the government, that then becomes against the law and you can be prosecuted. I believe that's where we're going in the U.S., in Europe. That if you share things that can be considered to be dangerous to public health, that's a nice logo. Gets a lot of people on board, including Christians. I've seen a lot of Christians jump on the train of Black Lives Matter, even though Black Lives Matter promotes anti-Christian beliefs, such as removing fathers from their home. Even though they embrace Marxism, which is the greatest persecutor of Christians around the world. Many Christians have got on board with that because there's a nice little message that says, oh, if you join us, you're not a racist. See, it's this mental game that goes back to social isolation. Nobody wants to be socially isolated. Nobody wants to feel like a racist. Nobody wants to feel like they're spreading dangerous material that can get people killed. So they get scared, lonely, and jump into the boat with everybody else. It's this mob mentality that we somehow feed off of that energy because that's how we were created. We were created to have fellowship with one another. So when we look at the legislation, legislation is starting to come in place that goes against what we would call hate crimes. And everybody's on board with this. But the way that it's being manipulated in the law, the way that it's being used to persecute Christians and focus on Christian beliefs that are considered to be hate. So if a Christian says that marriage is only between a man and a woman, this is hate? We're starting to see a lot of pedophilia and material about children being 
used in the sex trade. And that's considered to be, yeah, that's the way they were born. That people were born to want to have a desire to have a, a physical sexual relationship with a child. And there are children that want that sexual relationship from an adult. That's what's being peddled right now. Now, you might be disgusted by that and say, no way would that ever happen. But the former school czar that was appointed by the former president, President Obama, was actually someone that was in charge of a organization, not, uh, sorry, not in charge, was a part of an organization for man-boy love association. And he was put in charge of schools. One testimony that I remember was this person that was appointed by President Obama was a, was a principal of a school when a young boy comes to him and tells him that he was raped by an adult. And his response to this raped minor was, I hope you use protection. So when you start to speak out against these things, and I'm not just talking about, you know, trying to put people down for, you know, because maybe they live a, a homosexual lifestyle. I'm, I'm talking about if you teach that homosexuality is a sin, legislation is being created to say you cannot say that. Facebook has now made it illegal to share anything that would teach against homosexuality, saying that that is a part of uh, a hate speech. That is part of hate speech because this therapy that would help people to come out of the lifestyle of homosexuality is dangerous for public health. And legislation is put in place to be able to prosecute individuals who teach certain things. We see that here in Europe as well. That's legislation. Education. So I, again, I said media, education, legislation, social isolation. I've been kind of going through these in reverse order, but education is huge. The enemy has infiltrated the education system so that our children, as they grow up, they are being massaged to adopt the ideas of the world and shape Christianity with a concept that comes from the world, not the other way around. So instead of having concepts that come from God's word that shape society around them, the education has been shaped in such a way where children's minds are being manipulated and massaged with certain information that makes them more effective to change the Christian church to be more world-friendly. And when it comes to media, social media, software platform, we, we are seeing that. So when we look at, let me look at the, the uh, doctors of uh, the American frontline doctors, this group, the enemy revealed their hand. We saw something extremely powerful. Because the minute they released the video, there was a firestorm that erupted and it happened fast. It was coordinated. It was lightning fast. So frontline Amer or the American frontline doctors, they get out there on the steps in front of the Capitol building, in front of the Supreme Court sharing about their experiences. They're all certified doctors. They're all practitioners. They're all in the middle of their practice. Well, except for one, now one was fired. 
But that's a part of the strategy, this battle. Because what happened immediately, immediately when they were in the middle of their conference, social media platforms began to remove their video and they began to block it. They moved so fast. If you go to uh, Google and try to put in frontline American doctors, what you will find is articles about them, not from them. They do have a website or did have a website. The website was taken down. So this was almost immediately in coordination. Their website was taken down. Their website host was a group called Squarespace out of New York. Squarespace right away within hours deplatformed, took their website off. So immediately you had social media, YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, that removed everything about them. Then you had the Squarespace, which falls into another media platform, which was hosting the address for the frontline American doctor or American frontline uh, doctors. So Squarespace took down their website. PayPal, Visa. Now they are in coordination to stop taking payments for them and from them. This is one of the banking is probably one of the biggest enemies in the very near in the present as well as in the very near future. You see, banking is being used to control. Try to do any transaction today without using a bank. It's almost impossible. In fact, um, we've had accounts shut down. Get this. So I'm in Asia. I have a bank account that I go to make a withdrawal. We have about a hundred thousand U.S. dollars in that account. I go into the bank and I try to make a withdrawal, and they tell me this account doesn't exist. Your name is not in the system. No joke. This is not the first time this has happened. So I knew exactly what happened. The first time it happened, let me go back a little bit. Um, my wife was using a credit card while we were traveling in Europe. On one of our grocery purchases, the credit card was denied, which happens when you travel a lot. Suspicious activity can be caught by the bank. They think it's a fraudulent charge. They stop your account. You have to call them in, release it, and just let them know, hey, I'm traveling. So we didn't think anything of it. We had other credit cards. We didn't think anything of it. This is HSBC. So we're using an HSBC credit card. And the credit card is not is 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 not valid. It's been it's it's uh, not accepting payment, which happens, especially HSBC, the worst bank in the world, in my opinion. I hate it. I'm so glad I no longer bank with them. It was a headache. I hated it. I absolutely hated banking with HSBC. And I'm glad that nightmare is over. And I'm glad they're the ones that kicked us out of the bank. HSBC kicked us out. And this is the story. So my wife, we're in Europe, we're shopping, we go to a grocery store, they, they, our card was rejected, we just used another card, we, card, we move on with life. We're not even really thinking about it, I think it's about a week later, my wife is about ready to use the card again when she remembers that actually this card has been blocked. So that reminds both of us, oh, we need to make a phone call. So she makes a phone call to the bank and tells the bank, hey, my card has been blocked. They tell her, what's the account number? My wife gives it and they say, that's not the right, are you sure you're looking at the right account number? My wife reads it again. We've been with, we've been with HSBC for 20 years. 
We have a company account that's been in place for almost 30 years. And we're the main signatories on that 30-year account. So we're sitting there and we're like, okay, what is going on? This is like Twilight Zone stuff, right? Like, we don't know what's going on. So we tell them our name, our address. We repeat several times the bank account number. And this is, by the way, this is not a normal card. The credit card that we are using is a premium card, which means you have to have a certain amount of money in the bank in order to carry that card. And so it's the highest level that they have. We use it for ministry accounts. So we have our ministry funds in this HSBC account. And that's why we have this status, this premium status. So it allows us to call a certain number. And when you call this number, you don't get a regular banking person. You get a special VIP type of assistance. They don't know who we are. We're not in the system. I'm like, what? We've got a lot of money in the bank. And this is a little bit freaky. Now, we can't do anything about it because we're in Europe. And the person over the phone, there's nothing they can do to help us. They basically tell us we don't exist in the banking system and that bank account does not exist. That credit card does not exist. We're like, how can this credit card not exist? I'm holding it in my hand. I've had it for the last 20 years. What are you talking about? Nope. Sorry, I don't know what's going on either. So we have to travel back to Asia, meet with the the top people at HSBC to find out what in the world is going on. We find out without even a warning, the people inside of the account cancel everything. They cancel our checking account, our savings account, our credit cards, everything, zilch, nothing. It doesn't even exist. If we didn't have papers to show, this is, this is why I tell people, be careful with digital banking. Because for 20 years, it might work fine. Then one day they tell you don't exist. Good luck on proving your case without anything to show for it. What are you going to do? Log on to their website? If you don't exist on their website, you sure in the world will not exist on your own login website. So I go in and I show them, you know, information. Dude, this came from your bank. This is a paper that you sent from your bank. They look at it and they're like, oh, okay, now we know what happened. There's, a, there's, a, there's this inner team that does not interact with the rest of the bank they would be able to help you. And we find out that because we were making transactions that were did not involve other banks, we were taking out cash in order to pay people, they said, we can no longer work together with you. We had receipts to show where we used that cash. Receipts from government officials, receipts from officials in Iraq, and receipts from government officials stamped from China but we chose to pay in cash instead of by doing bank transfers. HSBC, because they were caught in a scandal during that year, said, we do not want to deal with bank or with anything but bank transfers when it takes place on this level, with this scale. Okay, that would have been great for you to tell us like before you canceled our account and wiped us off your books and made us a ghost account like we don't even exist and had to come in and prove our case, freaking out, thinking that you had stole our money. So... Here I am at the bank. Again, my account does not exist. Again, I knew exactly what was happening because banks only want to deal with bank to bank transactions. They no longer want to deal in cash at all, whether you're bringing it in or whether you're taking it out. 
So once we hand over that power and the transactions are mainly done by banks, when the banks get pressure from the social groups, and this is the important part, this is why I'm telling you the story. This is what you need to understand. If you forgot everything else I'm saying, listen to this, because this is where our future persecution is coming from. I know it from working in China. Once they have all of your operations, food, groceries, bills, mortgage, friends, income, church, employee, uh, uh, all of those things. Once they have you going only through the bank and using digital currency. Now, if you do anything and say anything, that's not a part of group think. Outside groups can now put pressure on the banks to make sure that you can no longer do legal transactions through their banks. That includes any visas, MasterCards, American Expresses that they issue. Guys, this is warfare. PayPal, Visa, bank accounts are all right now being pressured to not do any actions and transactions with American frontline doctors. We can learn as Christians, we can learn what is happening with them and know that it can happen to us. It's happened to me. Of course, I'm in China and everybody's like, oh, well, you're in China. Of course, it happened to you. Won't happen to me because I'm in America. <laughs> Keep that dream. Tell me how that works for you in about a year or two. America frontline doctors are a group of practitioners. They were not even preaching the gospel. They were talking about a harmless drug that's been on the market for 70 years for malaria. I took it when I wasn't even sick to prevent myself from getting malaria when I arrived in Africa. I took it as a preventative measure. Why? Because the chances of something happening from me taking that medication, my physician felt was very low or almost nothing. So now we're seeing PayPal, the banks, as well as Squarespace. Pressure was put on, they buckled, game over. They had to go and find another website host. They had to go, I don't know how they're going to work out the banking system. We've seen it with guns as well. You may not like guns, but I, I mean, I learned from this. You, you may feel that the, the Second Amendment in the United States is overkill. I'm, you know, I'm in Sweden. We, I, there's a lot of Swedes that really do not believe uh, that the U.S. has this Second Amendment. They just abhor it. They hate it. Um, forgive me. I love it. But it doesn't really matter whether, you're, whether you agree with it or not agree with it. I, I, I could really care less. Couldn't care less. Um, the, 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 the thing is, is that what I have learned from groups like gun manufacturers, one of them, by the way, Mossberg, <laughs> being a Swedish company. <laughs> Swedish company is one of my favorite gun companies in the United States, Mossberg. And so when you have these companies that are producing guns, what these groups have done is gone in and worked together with the banks, worked together with PayPal, worked together with Visa, MasterCard, American Express, so that they can't pay their employees. They can't take in payments. They can't pay for their overhead. Shut down. I just talked about the doctor, uh, Dr. Uh, Stella Emanuel. She went to medical school in Nigeria. And she's taken a beating because she's a, she's a minister taken a beating by Christians because Christians don't believe, don't agree with her demonology. 
She has some beliefs in demonology. I've actually invited her onto our podcast. I hope that she accepts because I think she's a stinking warrior. I absolutely love her. And she has some certain ideas when it comes to demonology. And I loved when she was approached by a, um, a journalist uh, about it that almost wanted her to feel bad about it. Man, she came out swinging and made that journalist feel like an absolute fool. Here's the thing. You don't need to agree with her. She has the right to say it. But guess what? The group that she works with, they were attacked by having social media shut them down. They were then attacked by having Squarespace remove their website. They are now being attacked to make sure that banking, PayPal, Visa, those things will not be able to take payments from them or for them. There's also another way that they're being attacked. Walgreens, CVS, and Kroger will not fulfill, will not fill her prescriptions the day after. So she is a doctor in Texas. She's still seeing her patients. Her patients are coming to her sick. She's writing prescriptions for them to make them better. And they're going to CVS, Walgreens, Kroger to get those prescriptions filled. And they're like, nope, we're not filling it. I wish I was there. I'd be like, why? Because she's black? (laughs) Because she's Nigerian? You got something against Nigerians? Because I know it can't be because she's not a doctor. She is a doctor. I know it can't be because she's talking about hydroxychloroquine because what she, she's been issuing that for years. I know it's not because of the studies that she's actually been quoting or the experiences that she's had because she has data around the world to back her up. And you have no right as a pharmacy to deny a patient that is ill from getting their prescription filled by this doctor who's doing her job and saving lives. We are seeing this over and over. And I think that this is something that as soon as I saw, as soon as I saw what happened to American frontline doctors, I thought this is what we've been seeing in China and Christians need to be aware. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now, We as Christians need to embrace persecution because it is in that persecution that we realize that we are the minority. And when we realize that we are the minority, our tactics change. We are involved in guerrilla warfare. As Christians, we are involved in guerrilla warfare. Now, This you might listen to this and think, wow, okay, you're being a little, you're you're being a little bit overdramatic here. Are you talking about we need to go get guns? We need to, you know, how far do you push the Second Amendment, Eugene? Um, no, I'm not talking about violence at all. Zero. I'm not talking about physical war at all. I'm talking about spiritual war. We need to realize that we are involved in guerrilla warfare. We need to adopt the tactics of an inferior force. We need to realize that we are small groups of combatants. And we will win through attrition if we don't give up. The enemy is destined to fail. The enemy has numbers on his side in the natural, but we have God. 
And in our small groups, we can demoralize the enemy. In our small groups, we can go on the attack. Don't be afraid. You have nothing to be afraid of. This is why we are creating businesses in the 1040 window. This is why we are creating the hologram Bible in the 1040 window. This is why we are creating our special audio Bible in the 1040 window. This is why we have our hackers conference. We believe in infiltration. We believe that persecution creates in us the special ability to be able to demoralize the enemy by using small group tactics. Jesus used small group tactics. He didn't try to build an army. He had 12 guys. One of the things that we see in in, uh, the Art of War, which was written by Sun Tzu in the 6th century B.C., is that we have a power as an inferior force that we need to embrace. One of the things that that I, I want to share with you just really quick is that when we embrace persecution, we can be set free from fear. When you fear persecution, when you fear isolation, when you fear what the enemy can do to you, you are paralyzed. You stop wanting to engage. You stop. You start wanting to run. You start wanting to hide. God did not call us to run. God did not call us to hide. God did not call us to disengage. We need to embrace the idea of persecution and not be afraid of it. We don't want to chase after it. We don't want it to happen to us if it doesn't have to. We don't want to orchestrate it so that we become martyrs. I don't want to be a martyr, but I do not fear persecution. Why? Because I have the word of the Lord that gives me my joy and my strength. You know what I fear? I fear being separated from God. When we embrace persecution, we see things (laughs) like we're seeing right now in California. I love California. All right. I often attack California, say California is a people's republic of California. The government of California makes me so irate. My blood pressure goes through the roof. I I just want to, I get so angry. I want to, I want to, I want to confront somebody physically and fight. But I know that's not God's way, so I submit to God's way. But I really like to give in to the flesh. Uh, California, the the people that are running California, some of the government officials, I find to be demonic. I really do. I I find their actions to be anti-Christ. I I I find their their behavior diabolical. And I'm 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 not trying to be dramatic. I do. I really really do. And it hurts even more because I love California so much. I really do. I love California. I love the people. I love the state. I love the, 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 the farmland. I love the beaches. I love the mountains. I love the snow. <laughs> I love California. It's my residency. It's where, I'm, it's, it's, it's where I have my residency. And there's, this, there's a singer by the name of Solomon Foot. I don't know how to say his name. I just see it F-E-U... C-H-T-H-P, something like, I don't know. It's, it's spelled in a really weird way. His name is Solomon, right? And there's this revival that's taking place in San Diego on the beaches that I just saw a video of that made me so excited. 
It made me excited because there's a group of Christians that are like, you know what? We're done with this. We're done with the persecution. We're done with the state orders. We're done with the governor, Governor Newsom, who is against everything Christian that doesn't even want us to sing. Governor Newsom put out an order that said Christians cannot sing in church because it might spread the virus. The, 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 the protests, people shouting at one another, screaming at one another, attacking one another. You know what's bad for people when they die from violent riots and protesters? Where were you on that, Governor Newsom? Oh, he was shoulder to shoulder, back to front, holding hands, backing every protester out there. As they destroyed the cities, as they killed police officers, as the cities were seeing a record number of crimes and deaths. Seeing more deaths from these from the protests and from the riots and from the lack of police engagement than what we've seen from COVID. So please spare me. And so I've gotten angry. But then, in the middle of the persecution, I've seen Christians embracing it, embracing their part, going to the beach. You want to see peaceful protesters? <laughs> I heard Ben Shapiro. If you're not familiar with Ben Shapiro, he is a Jewish commentator that I absolutely love. And um, the news network has bent over backwards and put themselves in the shape of pretzels in order to defend the violent rioters, saying, well, they're mostly peaceful. These are mostly peaceful rioting. I never even heard that word before, mostly peaceful riots. Mostly peaceful. These are mostly peaceful. Got a few agitators, but they're mostly peaceful. Ben Shapiro said, yeah, they're mostly peaceful in the same way that O.J. Simpson was mostly peaceful on the night that he murdered his wife and his and her boyfriend. For the for the majority of the night, he was mostly peaceful, mostly peaceful, except for the, the time where he murdered them. But for the most of the part, he was peaceful. That's about how peaceful we've seen with the protesters. You want to see peaceful protesters? Look at the Christians who filled the beaches in San Diego, raising their hands, singing praise to God in defiance of government order. Mothers, children, families, workers, taxpayers, individuals that abide by the law until the law goes against their faith. Thousands of people turned up at the beaches just a couple days ago. Hundreds were baptized, all out in the open, singing praise to God. And I have to ask myself, would this have happened if they had not felt persecuted? What is it about persecution that leads us into a bold walk of faith? That's what I'm seeing inside of China. What I have seen inside of China is a church that has been persecuted but still, in that persecution, not only do they remain faithful, but they become radical. They become, they, they, they're set on fire. And as I've seen my American counterparts praying for the same spirit that has been bringing revival to China, they've been praying for revival to come to America. Unfortunately for the Chinese, that revival required persecution, opposition, resistance. 
In that resistance, there were a lot of Christians that fell to the side. Those that did not want to have an uncomfortable lifestyle. They chose comfort over Christ. They chose fellowship with the world over fellowship with fellow believers. How many people today listening to this podcast are seeing their governments starting to infringe upon their beliefs and are also moving into a direction where they're like, no, I'm no longer going to compromise. I'm no longer going to compromise what God told me clearly in his word. I'm no longer going to compromise the idea of forsaking fellowship with my fellow believers. I'll be safe. I'll take precaution. But I cannot fellowship online forever. I cannot make connection with people through Zoom forever. I cannot continue in this life without having a meal together with other believers without being in the same room where the spirit is being lifted up and Christ's name is being exalted, where I am together with a room of believers and the energy of praising God is so overwhelming that I can't help but get raptured in the moment, tears coming down my face and worshiping God with every fiber of my being and doing it collectively with the brothers and the sisters of Christ that we call the body. Try having your eye communicate with your brain using Zoom. Try having your fingers coordinate with your feet using a phone, using YouTube, using Facebook Live. But churches are not essential services. Right now, we need to shut down all non-essential services until this pandemic passes. What if the pandemic never passes? And who are you to say that churches are not essential? These are the things that I believe that we can get excited about. Because as persecution increases, brothers and sisters, so does revival. Extreme situations call for an extreme God. Radical situations call for a radical believer. Brothers and sisters, do not fear persecution. Embrace it. When it comes, it will make us stronger. You might feel dismayed when you see fellow believers fall to the side. You might feel lonely when you see fellow believers that you love and cherish very much and you enjoy the fellowship together with them. You might feel lonely when they now reject you and they write you a letter and say, sorry, we can no longer support your ministry because you support ideals that have not been made reputable by our government. You support concepts that are conspiratorial. You support beliefs in the Bible that are hateful. You embrace a God that kills. You embrace a God that is homophobic. You embrace a God that goes against our beliefs. Those Christians will fall to the wayside. 
as the wheat is separated from the chaff. But don't be dismayed. Don't be discouraged. What we are yet to see is greater than anything we've ever seen before. The revivals that are yet to come are bigger than they've ever been before. The more people groups that we see coming into the light of the gospel, the closer we will be to the return of our Messiah. I want to thank you so much for joining us for this Back to Jerusalem live podcast. Again, I'm Eugene Bach coming to you live on delay from somewhere within the borders of Sweden. God bless you.